listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Wow. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. I am using the new Apple paper, in case you're wondering, with the uh, free stylus that comes with it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Ah, gosh, I am so glad to be here. Um, Do you guys remember playing the game Tag? Remember the game? Not the app, but the actual game outside Tag. Remember that game? Right? Remember how that game worked? Um, There would be one kid, and he would put his hands on the tree like that, and he'd count from 1 to 25 or 1 to 50, right? And it was usually the fast-running kid that was always it, right? Chad, that was our fast-running kid. (laughs) I was not a fast-running kid in the 70s, okay? I... I was running like on dial-up, okay? And Chad's like 5G running, okay? So I am a slow runner. And I'll tell you in a minute why it was dangerous for me, a little heavyset boy in the 70s, to play tag. I'll tell you that in a minute. So Chad would put his hands on the tree, right? And he'd count from 1 to 25. As soon as he was done counting, all of us were hiding. What would he holler? Ready or not, here I come, right? And so then Chad would start looking for kids that are hiding, Now, I'm that little kid hiding in the bush. Anybody been there before, right? And you're like, God, thank you for this great place to hide, you know, if you were a Christian. And then you're like, ah, why do I have to go to the bathroom now, right? You know, and so anybody else there when they hid, right? Okay, that one was just me. I'll write that down on my paper. So then when I discovered that Chad was far enough away, I would pop out of my hiding spot, right? And I would run to the base. Guys, remember that? Put yourself in that spot. So here I take off running. I'm running as fast as I can. My little legs, you know, a little heavyset kid. I'm running in slow motion. Now, here's why it was dangerous for me to run in the 70s. Anybody remember what the fashion in the 70s was? Bell bottoms and corduroy pants, right? (laughs) So you got a little heavyset kid. My pants, my legs are running together, (laughs) making that swishing noise. As I'm running, my pants are catching on fire, so I'm trying to run and put my pants out at the same time, right? I'm making like this trail of smoke behind me. Chad sees me. I'm running. I'm putting my hand out, right? Here comes Chad. Everybody put yourself in that spot, right? I'm running. He's almost got me, almost got me. I put my hand on the base, and what do I holler? Safe. I made it. I'm going to be okay here, right? I did it, right? Now, let me tell you this. When I put my hand on that base and I hollered safe, there was a chemical reaction that took place in my brain that said, you're okay here. You're going to be all right here. This is where you belong, right? This is what our brain is always looking for. Every situation we're in, our brain is always looking, am I safe here? Am I going to be okay here? If we didn't feel safe coming to this church, you know what? We wouldn't come. If we didn't feel safe going to a certain movie theater, a certain part of town, you know what? We don't go. And our brain does that because we have to feel safe. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. Second thing, our bodies, and this is a total Christian thing, our bodies are a heavenly thing. Our bodies are designed for pleasure. They are not designed for pain. Our bodies do not know what to do with pain. When we are in painful situations, our brain goes crazy and it doesn't know what to do with that. 65 people in this room. At the end of this message, 64 of you come up to me and you're like, oh my gosh, this was terrific. This was the best message I've ever heard. You're hugging me. You're, you know, a couple of the big guys are attempting to lift me up over their shoulders and carry me out. 
Jason's up here trying to write a song about me, right? And it's just like this incredible thing. And as I get out into the lobby, sorry, Carlos, I'm going to use my buddy Carlos Rivera, okay? Carlos walks up to me, he hugs me, and he says, brother, okay? I don't know what happened today. Maybe you're tired. You'll get them next time. Don't worry. They'll probably let you preach again, okay? Let me ask you, as I'm walking out, am I thinking about the 64 or am I thinking about the one? The one. How long am I thinking about the one? A long time. Our body does not know what to do with pain and it's always looking for pleasure. I'm sorry, always looking for the pleasure and it's always looking for the safe spot. Does that make sense, everybody? This is where we want to live. This is where we, in our brain, the way it's designed is we want to be safe and we want no pain in our life. But this is not where God wants us to live a lot of times. It isn't. Think about our heroes of the faith, the people that have done stuff that we look to and go, man, that's amazing, right? David and Goliath. Scary, unsafe place that's painful, right? Samson. Scary, unsafe place that's painful. All of our heroes of the faith, the disciples, they talked about it this morning, locked up, put in chains, painful, unsafe place, right? Jesus comes to earth, unsafe place, full of pain, right? But what does God say? In my weakness, in Ray Lozano's weakness, who's made strong? The Lord, right? So we have to understand that. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the safe place and the painful place and how God has to get us to move sometimes by using this pain in our life. Make sense? Go ahead and put the scripture up here. Now, we're going to be doing a lot of stopping in this time, but we will get you out of here in time, okay? So don't worry. John 5 is where we're looking today, okay? Now, we're going through a series of the book of John, and we've been covering this since the beginning and I have the opportunity to preach on John 5. So we're going to be stopping a whole bunch, but don't worry, okay? Uh, number one, verse five right here, or verse one. Sometime later, we're already going to make a stop right here, okay? What does sometime later meant? Sometime later was the beginning, everything from the wedding to the well, everything that they've been talking about over the past few weeks. Jesus pops up at this wedding, makes wine, all the way to what Jason talked about last week, the well, okay? So we're talking about that whole time. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, this little verse right here separates who we serve and a whole bunch of other religions out there. You take all those major religions that are out there, you're going to find some similarities, okay? You're going to find this incredible creation story, how the earth came to be. And you're going to find at the end of this, their God or somebody's God coming back and smiting all of the enemies, Okay? You're going to find that in a lot of the religions. Then one of the other things you're also going to find is you're going to find some kind of earth destruction flooding story, okay? And so if you accumulate all of those religions, you put them together, those are the three similarities that you're going to find. Now here's the difference between who we serve and all of those other religions that are out there. Two things right here. This is one of them. Number one is we have a God that wants to know us intimately, we have a God that Jason talked about last week that wants to know all those things, right? We have a God that wants to look at you in the eyes and go, you like to taste the apple pie, you like your house quiet, and you like finding $20 in the drawer nobody knows about, right? And so, yeah, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's a prophet. He knows who I am, right? 
And then he likes to come and go, sir, I know you so well. You have 87,261 hairs on your head. 87,228 hairs now. 27 hairs, 27, right? And so we have this God that wants to know, and he knows how many hairs we have on our head. That's how intimate God wants to know us. You don't find that in other beliefs, okay? Because we have a God that came down to us. Almost every other religion, all the things that the Romans believed in, you had to go to them, and you were lucky when you went to them. Their gods did not come down off Olympus and hang out with people. You had to go up to Olympus, and maybe you were going to get what you wanted. Does that make sense? We have a God that wants to serve us and understand us intimately. Here's the second thing. We have a God that goes to parties. Isn't that cool? We do. He doesn't just go to those church potlucks where spaghetti and garlic bread is served, right? He goes to the party where they're popping bottles, okay? And so we serve that kind of God. You have to understand that because that speaks a lot to his personality. We serve that kind of God that is going to parties. I can just see the disciples, you know, walking, and this would have been crazy because this is so outside of the thinking that the Jewish culture had. The Jewish culture did not have a God that went to parties, and if he did, they were definitely going to be Christian parties, not tax collector parties, right? I can just see Jesus walking. Have any parents here ever taken your kids shopping and about 40 minutes into that shopping experience, you're like, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have brought them, right? And then like, like an hour and a half into it, you're like, mm, that's why lions eat their own, okay? So yeah, you're like, yeah, okay? So you have Jesus walking, you have the 12 disciples, they're just like kids, right? And they're complaining, I'm tired, my feet hurt, this shirt's too tight, Peter keeps touching me, right? And so you have all of this thing, man. You got Andrew back there tweeting, you know, man, walking again, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, yeah. God, comma, literally God, knows where we're going, right? Be free, little bird. And so he's tweeting, okay? And so you have these disciples, and then Jesus turns around, they're like, where are we going, right? And Jesus turns around, reaches in his pocket and goes, I got tickets to Coachella, right? And they're like, yeah, we got to get there before, you know, uh, <laughs> DJ Marshmallow hits the stage, okay? And so the thing is, we have a God that goes to parties. You have to understand this is important because Jesus wants to go where the people are. He wants to go where the people let down their guard and they say, this is where I'm going to hang out. Jesus wants to get into that mix. No other God wants to get into that mix. No other God wants to touch that, okay? But oh, we serve a God that wants to get in there, and it's important to understand that. So we have that happening. So Jesus is heading to the temple, okay? Now, you have to understand this temple is amazing, and Jesus wants to know us. Tara talked about it the very first week about Jesus going to a party and creating wine, right? You remember that story, right? And he wasn't making the two-buck chuck stuff. He was making the good stuff, right? And so Jesus says, yeah, it's like, hmm, good sandal after flavor, right? And so he's not doing that. He's making the good stuff. So Jesus is on his way to a party. Remember that. Safe place, don't like pain, Jesus is heading to a party, okay? Now there is, in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool. We each in Aramac, uh, Aramac, Chris? Aramic is called Bethesda. In which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, okay? So Jesus is heading up. Now let me set the setting what this is like. Because we read this and we're like, sheep gate, okay, cool, heading up to the town. What does that mean, okay? Picture where, this is going to be the sheep gate because this is where everything's happening, 
Okay, so this is going to be four times bigger than this church. This is the sheep gate, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that sheep come through here. It's just the name of the gate. Go all the way down this big, huge wall to where Elamanute is, okay? Now, Elamanute is going to be the fish gate. That's just another gate. Now, none of this was discovered till 1920, and then they realized, wow, there really was a sheep gate. There really was a pool in Bethesda, and they didn't realize that before, prior to 1920 when they discovered it, okay? So Alamanute is the fish gate. Now you take the wall all the way up to the Redlands Bowl, okay? And it's going to be another major wall that's going to have about three exits, but it's only going to be exit only. You don't enter that way. Making sense, everybody? You have to understand the temple is it. This is 45-minute walk from where Jesus is going to be crucified. This is a major temple, okay? Now, up through the front, you would walk into the temple. So this is where Jesus is going for this party. Now, when you walk into the temple, now, now I really want you to understand this, because when you read it and you don't look into the deepness of what's happening here, sometimes you miss some of the stuff, okay? So picture this, the temple, okay? Way out there is the temple, and you can see it, and it's this big, huge dome, and there's this flag flying on top, and it's this big, big, huge place, okay? I think it would be, this is a poor example, like Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, right? You're like, whoa, that's cool. Now, when you walk into the temple, as soon as you walk into the gates, there's no more people that don't belong there. Everybody inside is going to be all Jewish people. The soldiers that are guarding the place, Jewish. The people running it, Jewish. The people cleaning up, Jewish. Everybody inside this temple is going to be Jewish. Does that make sense? Now, when you walk in, there's going to be this gigantic courtyard that's going to have these amazing statues. There's going to be David holding up Goliath's head statue, right? There's going to be Noah working on the ark statue. There's going to be Samson pushing. All the heroes of the faith are going to have this because it's a time of reflection. Once you walk in, you're walking on holy ground. Does that make sense, everybody? Then you're going to walk into this temple, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen in that time period. Not only is it going to be amazing, but it's also going to have these crazy, amazing aromas, like walking into Bed, Bath, and Body, and Beyond, or whatever it's called, okay? So, yeah. So, it's going to be amazing. There's going to be incense burning to God. There's going to be the smell of fresh baked bread that's being offered to God. This one will appeal to the guys. They're going to be roasting bulls out there, so it's going to have that deep barbecue flavor, right? That scent, you know, the one that even if you're not hungry, you're going to have it, right? And so it's going to be this amazing thing that you're watching. Now, Jesus is heading in, but the thing is, he's heading in through the sheep gate. Now, what does that mean? He's not coming in through the main entrance He's coming in through the servants' quarters. He's coming in through the back. Now, the thing is, this temple would have been amazing. Now, you have to understand, a temple like this takes a lot of money to run, okay? You have people that are working there. You have to have a lot of income for this temple. How do you get that income? Well, here's what the temple did. The temple outside sold all these little booth spaces outside of the temple, Okay, Now, outside, it would have been almost like the Bel Air swap meet. Just little booth, little booth, little booth, little booth, little booth. 
The ones that are closest to the door are the ones that paid the most money to get there, okay? This is where guys like Zacchaeus would come in. Zacchaeus were sellouts to the Jewish people. Zacchaeus was collecting taxes from the Jewish people. He was playing both sides of the fence. Ah, Ishmael's house of undented sheep, you owe the temple $100, right? And so he would go and say, temple, here's your 80 bucks from Ishmael's place right there. Roman soldier, here's your 10%. Oh, look at that. Boom, 10% for me, right? So the thing is, he was a sellout, but you'd have all these little booths because all these little booths were financing the temple. Does that make sense, everybody? You have to understand the setting. Then outside of all of these little booths, now you have all the illegal businesses, right? You have the dude walking around with sparrows that doesn't have a booth. He doesn't want to pay taxes. You have the guy walking around with sheep, right? You have the dude selling the tacos on the little cart, right? So you have all of that taking place. You have the guy selling all that kind of stuff. Who do you not want walking around the marketplace? Who do you think? Not God. That's the normal church answer, right? Who do you not want? I'll tell you who you don't want in the marketplace. You don't want people that are broke. You don't want people that are begging for money. You don't want people that are crippled, right? Because they're not going to add to this economy, right? If you don't have no money, take it home, right? So the thing is, what do you do with those people? You dump them in the back, right? You dump them at the sheep gate. That way they're close enough, but they're not interfering. We have the same situation happening now, right? We have a homeless encampment that happens, right? And it happens outside of business. Does that business want that homeless encampment there? No. Get it out of here, man. You look at like Angel Stadium. We had this homeless encampment happening at Angel Stadium. Didn't bother anybody. Everybody was cool with it till when? Till it started to cut money out of Angel Stadium. When they realized people weren't going to Angel Stadium because there's a homeless encampment there, what do we do with it now? Let's move it out, right? Same kind of thing that's happening at the temple. So understand this, and this is why it's important to know the setting. Jesus is walking to the temple through what? A homeless encampment, okay? Now, there in Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate, uh, I'm sorry, there was a great number of disabled people, and this is where they used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, okay? So Jesus is walking through this homeless encampment. There's five shades. So along the line, the temple said, ah, you know what, I feel sad for these poor people laying out in the sun. Let's build them a little shade, kind of get them out of the sun, maybe out of the rain a little bit, Okay. So now they have these five encampments. Okay, a little audience participation here. Homeless encampment, going to smell good or smell bad? Bad. Homeless encampment, going to be clean or going to be dirty? Dirty. Homeless encampment, going to be a happy place or sad place? Sad place. Homeless encampment, going to have poo-poo or no poo-poo? Poo-poo. Yeah, you said poo-poo in church. Got it. Okay, good. Here we go. Right? But you have to understand this is important for us to know, Right? Because Jesus is walking through a homeless encampment to get to the temple. Why is that important? Because Jesus is willing to walk through our homeless encampment that we have inside, right? Jesus isn't afraid of stepping over some hypodermic needles or stepping in a pile that he shouldn't step in. That is the God that we serve, and that is the God that separates from everybody else, the god Thor, everybody used to worship Thor. Thor would sit on his Olympus mountaintop, you came to him, and if you caught him in a good mood, you got what you want. Otherwise, all he did is manipulate you and use you. 
we have a God that's willing to do something that no other God is willing to do and walk through this homeless encampment. Now you get there, and there's a great number of disabled people who used to lie there, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Two words I want you to remember. Ability grouping and pagan shedding. Okay? Ability grouping. We see this happening in schools, and we see this happening with people all the time because they want to be safe, and they don't want to have pain. Ability grouping. What is that? That's when we collect together as a group of people, and we all think the same way. That's dangerous. It is. God came and so many times wanted to bust up that thinking because it gets dangerous when we all start agreeing with each other and we have no outside influence as Christians and we, we don't allow people that are contrary to what we believe into our life. This is where it gets really dangerous. It's called pagan shedding. What they have said is that two years after a person becomes a Christian, they no longer have no non-Christian friends. All of their friends are Christians, and they no longer associate with non-Christian people. That gets dangerous. Let's say all of us, ability in here, okay? And I'll show you where the danger happens. Let's say all of us in this room love spaghetti. We come into this room, and we talk about spaghetti. We eat spaghetti, and we all love spaghetti, okay? And every single one of us loves spaghetti because that is our safe place. Does that make sense to everybody? And then somebody stands up and goes, I don't like spaghetti. I like carne asada, right? Do we look at that person and go, yay, they like carne asada? Or what do we say? No, get out of here. You're a carne asada lover. We're spaghetti lovers, right? Have we just isolated that person? Yes, we totally have. God doesn't want that. And then the other thing is, you get the person that maybe spaghetti hurts their stomach, but they look around and everybody else is loving spaghetti, right? So are they feel comfortable and coming up and going to somebody, hey, man, I don't like spaghetti that much. My stomach hurts, right? Do they feel comfortable doing that? No, they lose that ability. This is what we have to be careful about in church. We have to be careful. We have to have people come up here and go, you know what? I'm depressed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm sad. I'm upset. You know what? I see this all the time in AA meetings where people come out and they lay their dirty laundry out. This is what the church is designed to do, Okay. We have to be careful with that. So Jesus comes up, and he's trying to stop that kind of thinking. And so we have people that are laying together. Now, this is where it's going to get kind of crazy. One who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. This guy has laid in this homeless encampment for 38 years. You know what is crazy about 38 years? The average life in Jesus' time was 35. That's it. This guy was three years past his expiration date, right? And that's if they laid him there when he was an infant. More than likely what happened is this kid was born with some type of injury or some kind of ailment, and they took care of him until he was about age 12. Then at age 12, when he couldn't work, they're like, well, where do we put this guy? I don't know. Let's take him to the sheep gate. And they laid him there. So from about age 12, for 38 years, this guy had laid there. How old does that make this guy now? 50. This guy is a 50-year-old guy laying at a homeless encampment that Jesus is walking through. Everybody, and there's no doubt in my mind, knew this guy. Somewhere along the line, people had a question. I mean, did you look out there, man? Look over the fence right there. Look at that dude. That dude's 50 years old. How did he get to be 50, right? And so the thing is, they knew this guy. So this guy had been laying there for 38 years. This guy has gone through a very unique and special type of torture. 
He has. He's been in a torture, like that water bottle. He can see what he wants. He can see that he wants his healing, but he can never have it, right? And every evening, as the sun is going down, the shade hits this guy. And where's that shade coming from? The temple, right? Think about that torture. Think about every day waking up and going, I want that water bottle, but I can't have it. And then looking and seeing this amazing place where God is supposed to come and help people. This is terrible what's taking place right here. Then Jesus saw him lying there, and he had learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, and he asked him, he's going to ask him this super question, super easy question, do you want to get well? Think about that for a second. Do you want to get well? That's what he's asking him. Real simple question, right? If you were laying in a bed at Loma Linda and you had something wrong with you and a doctor came up to you and looked at you and said, do you want to get well? What would you answer? Yes, right? Wouldn't you say yes immediately, right? Yeah, you'd say yes, right? Does this guy say yes immediately? No, because his brain is doing this thing that is protecting them. This guy has made this homeless encampment his safe place. And it's so hard because the safe place that this guy has made inside his head is protecting him. Look at what he says. He says, sir, he doesn't even know who he's talking to. The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Right? This guy, what is he doing? He's blaming it on somebody else, isn't he? He's saying, you know what, it's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm not healed because his brain won't allow him to think that way. This is a major dysfunction that's happening. How many of you have ever seen people like that in your life, right? Why are you upset? It's not my fault, right? If that guy wouldn't have cut me off, I wouldn't have been mad, right? If they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have acted like this. If so-and-so had been there, I wouldn't be this way, right? And so the thing is, he's blaming somebody else. But what's happening is it's this dysfunction that's taking place. Understand this. This is a picture of salvation right here. This is. This guy is basically saying, nobody's with me anymore. Everybody that I know, everybody that's ever been part of my life, they're dead now. They're gone, and I am alone. I'm going to ask for some honesty, right? We're all spaghetti eaters in here, but some of us are going to like carne asada here in a second, right? How many of you have been in that spot where you've been alone and nobody's been there to help you? Come on. Come on. Every hand in this room should be up, Right? How many of you have been in trouble and you just need one friend to come up and put their arm around you, but there is no friend that comes up and puts their arm around you, right? We've all been there. My hand is up, right? We've all been there. And I wonder, why does the Lord do that? Why does this happen? God taught me this lesson years ago. From 19, oh God, this is going to seem a long time ago, 1988, 1989, I was the after-school director at the Santa Barbara Boys and Girls Club. I went to college there, my wife and I, and I was running this after-school program. This is what that meant. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I took all of the kids to, this o- to the ocean in Santa Barbara. A bus picked us up, we went there. Thursday, we went to the pool. Friday, we went back to the ocean. I cannot tell you how many days I spent at the ocean and at the pool, right? It was an amazing job. So when I would go to the ocean, we had lifeguards there. Basically, we'd set up our chair. The kids would play in the water. At the end of the day, we'd take them all home, make sure they had sunscreen on. When we went to the pool, it was even easier. I'd pop my chair open right in the middle of this gigantic pool, and I would sit there, and I would watch kids all day and basically read books, and it was just like not having a job at all. 
Here's what the pool looked like. On this end of the pool, on the shallow end, was Tony. Tony went to school with me. Tony played football. Tony worked out. Tony was this buff lifeguard dude, okay? He looked like a lifeguard that could save somebody. On this end of the pool, I don't even know why she was a lifeguard. I'm just going to call her Jennifer. I can't remember her name. Jennifer was a redhead, okay? A lifeguard that's a redhead. Her skin was so white, it was basically clear, okay? And so <laughs> all summer long, Jennifer would just put sunscreen on, and she would sit. And Jennifer sat on the deep end. Jennifer had seniority. That's why they gave her that end of the pool. And I thought, man, why? you know, just would watch this whole thing play out. Kids would run. Lifeguards would holler, stop running, okay? And so I'm sitting there. Sat there one whole summer. Then the next year, I'm sitting there. Near the middle of summer, this big, huge guy came to the swimming pool. And he would, the first two lanes right here were first lane swimming. He would get in the water, and this big, huge guy would just swim all the way to this end, turn around, and swim all the way back. And he just did that like over and over and over again for about an hour. And I would just sit there and watch this big guy swimming back and forth and back and forth. About two, three weeks into this, watching this big guy swim, I noticed this one day he came a little bit late. He got in the water, and he was swimming like a little bit slow, okay? Then he gets to the end, stops, then he swims back. Gets to the end, he stops. He normally didn't do that. And then as he's coming back this one time, right in front of me, I have my chair here, about halfway down the row, this guy grabs his leg and he screams, cramp, I have a cramp, right? And he's grabbing his leg and he's splashing around like crazy. I watched the two lifeguards get up and they start blowing their whistles and all of the lifeguards start screaming, get out of the pool, get out of the pool. All of the kids go to the side of the pool. I'm standing on the edge of this pool and I'm watching this big guy and he's starting to like really struggle. He goes down and he comes back up. And he comes back up and you see him breathing and he's trying to catch his breath and everything. And I'm watching this guy and I'm watching Jennifer and she's standing at the edge of her diving board thing right there and I'm watching this guy and he goes down again and he stays down a little bit longer and he comes up and just this part of his head comes up. He takes a breath, he looks at me in the eye and, and I feel like this guy is like, tell my wife and my collection of lunch meats that I love them, okay? And so I'm like, you know, and I'm like, what are they gonna do, what are they gonna do? And this guy goes down for the third time. This guy stays under and then I watch Jennifer dive from her chair into the pool. Dive's the wrong word. This guy, this young girl was so light, she went like, <laughs> right? And then she swims over to this guy. She goes deep into the water, okay, in the bottom. She pushes off the bottom with her hands up and she pushes this guy up. As soon as he comes up, he <gasps> takes this deep breath of air. She swims over to him real quick, puts her arm around his throat like this, and I saw her, and she whispered something in this guy's ear. She brought him over to the side, went under again, and then she came up, and she pushed him up onto the side of the pool, and she sat there with this guy while he coughed out water. As soon as he got up, everybody clapped, and they were like, that was amazing, right? And this was the coolest thing I saw all summer long. I had to find out why. How did this work? So everybody went back to doing their thing. Jennifer went on break, and I caught up to Jennifer. I said, Jennifer, tell me about that whole thing that happened. Well, I knew her, and she goes, well, she says, I'm going to be honest with you. She said, I saw this coming. I said, you did? 
She goes, yeah, a long way off, I saw it happening. She says, when he came to the pool late, I figured there might have been something wrong. When he got into the water and he stopped at every end, she said, I knew this guy was in trouble long before he knew he was in trouble. She said, and as soon as he hollered cramp, I says, why did you get all the kids out of the water? She says, we had to get all of the kids out of the water. She says, because if we didn't, this guy was so scared, he would have grabbed onto anything. She said, instead of having one live person right now, she said, we'd have two dead people in the pool. She said, we had to get everybody away from this guy. I'm like, tell me the last part. I said, what did you whisper in his ear? She says, when I knew that this guy finally gave up, when this guy knew that he had no way out, that this was his last moment on earth, she says, I swam over to him, and I knew that I had his 100% attention. I says, what did you whisper in his ear? She said, I very softly said, don't worry, I got you. I'm gonna take care of you. Understand this. You know why you're alone in your situation right now? Because God wants to get everybody out of your pool, just like this guy. 38 years of having nobody in his pool to rescue him. Trust the God that goes to parties, that wants to know you intimately, that there's going to be a day that he is going to swim up to you and go, don't worry, I got you, you're gonna be okay. And he's not gonna have to shout it because it's gonna come very softly. Sir, I wanna be healed, I do. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Again, super important to know that. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. How many of you have those friends? How many of you have those friends that love to ick your wow, right? I just won the lottery. Good for you, right? I just got a new car. You're lucky, right? Man, I cannot tell you. <laughs> and I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I got here, man. There's so many times I've hit my wife's. Wow, man. She's come home. Man, I thought this is fantastic. Well, good for you. Lucky, you know. And so it's just terrible because out of all the things that these religious leaders could say, this is fantastic. You're that dude that laid there for 38 years. You're 50 years old, right? All the cool things they could have said, what did they say? Who told you to pick up your mat and walk, right? How painful is that? But he replied, listen to this, man, because we're getting close to the ending right here. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who had been healed, listen, listen, had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This is amazing. Think about the compassion. Think about this healing that took place in this guy's life. Okay? Now think about all the other healings that Jesus did. A lady had an issue of blood, right? She spent everything that she had to get healed. And what did she tell herself? If I can touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. What is she saying? If I can touch the filthiest, dirtiest, nastiest part of God, I know that I'll be healed. 
She walks in this crowd. She comes up behind Jesus. Her mouth has to be dry. Her heart has to be pumping. She's looking at that hem that's been dragged through poo-poo, right? And she's looking at that hem, and she's like, I just got to touch it. I just got to Boom, touches that hem, and she's healed. Jesus stops, turns around, and he says, what? Who touched me? The disciples look at him and go, you're crazy, dude. We're surrounded by people, and you're asking who touched you? He goes, no, power left my body. Somebody touched me, right? This lady stands up. She goes, I touched you. I'm healed. What did Jesus tell her? Lady, your faith has healed you. Faith healed. Jesus is walking, right? This Roman centurion, high-level guard, comes up to Jesus, says, my daughter's dying, right? Jesus says, well, let's go to your house. They head over to the centurion's house. Halfway to the house, a servant comes out, looks at the Roman soldier, looks at Jesus, says, don't go to his house, man. His daughter's dead, right? What does Jesus do? Jesus looks at this guy. This guy looks at Jesus and says, hey, listen, I understand the authority of God. I'm in charge of soldiers. I tell them to go, they go. I tell them to come, they come. Lord, all you need to do is say, girl, be healed. You don't even need to go there, right? What does Jesus do? He turns and looks at the crowd and says, everybody, you need to understand what this guy understands. Be like this guy, right? So understanding the authority of God heals, right? What's the last one? The blind guy. He's standing there screaming out Jesus' name. Jesus comes in, tells him, go to the river and wash. Your persistence has healed you, right? What healed this guy? Nothing. What healed this guy was just the deep compassion of Christ. That's it. This guy didn't know who healed him. He didn't have a faith or an understanding of who God is. He didn't call out to God. All he did is lay there for 38 years. This guy didn't ask Jesus to come into his life, did he? No, but Jesus healed him. This guy didn't go out and seek Jesus, but Jesus healed him. This guy had no faith in Jesus, but Jesus healed him. This guy couldn't even tell the leaders who healed him. You know why that's important? We serve a God that heals people that are diametrically opposed to his mission. We serve a God that sits next to the heroin addict in the alley who says, God, don't let me die this time, please. We serve a God that watches over the alcoholic who curses God's name day in and day out. And you know why that's important? Do you know why that is so important for us to understand? Because we are his people. And how much deeper does he love his people? If you're going through it right now and everybody is out of your pool, throw up your hands. God, I'm gonna stop trusting in money. I'm gonna stop trusting in a job. I'm gonna give up all that kind of stuff. And you know what, Lord? Come on, you're the one who rescues me. You're the one who's gonna whisper in my ear, don't worry, I got you. Because that is the God that we serve. Man, we gotta praise the Lord that he walks through homeless encampments. Because if he's willing to do that, he's willing to walk anywhere we are. This is so amazing, because the way this story ends, this guy goes to the temple, he's worshiping God, he's there. Finally, God walks up, then Jesus kind of nudges and goes, hey, dude, I'm the one that healed you, right? He didn't say, hey, dude, pass out these business cards as you walk out of here, right? He wasn't even worried about his popularity. Understand, we serve a God whose compassion goes far beyond anything we can understand. 
Let's pray. Father God, you are so amazing. And in front of everybody, I will tell you, thank you for going to parties. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for compassion that we cannot understand. Thank you for mercy, God, that is incalculable. Thank you, God, that you heal who you want to heal, Father God, and that you watch over those people, Father God. You watch over us. Father God, your compassion and creativity is always around us. Lord, help us to be the people that walk out of this room today and seek others that are diametrically opposed to who you are, not because we want to save them, but because we just need those kind of people in our life, Lord. Father, bless this day. And for everybody in this room, Father, whose pool is empty, Lord, I beg you, jump into the water, Father, and rescue them. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you that we're a family. Thank you for Jason and his family and all the team that works together. Father, help us to also remember, Lord, that it's, Father, our finances that help keep this little church going. Help us always give generously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.